in the house and just worshiping God. So uh, if we get lost there, that's okay. That's all right. Uh, Cameron, uh, who was leading today, said there was sort of a theme going on. Uh, we were singing about foundations and staying strong, and it's kind of the theme this morning. Uh, didn't know if he knew I was going there, but the Lord did. The Lord did. We're going we're gonna to touch on this firm foundation theme when all around us seems to be changing, shaking, going fast. Last Sunday, I talked a bit about that, the culture and uh, just where it's going and how quickly it's going and culture, that's, that's the predominant customs and traits and values of, of, of the group. It's the, the values of society, whether it's the predominant values or those who are in leadership just driving them or influencers pushing them. Sometimes it's a minority that pushes and influences and makes these the values of the society. And we talked about that and we covered uh, how that influence in culture is very powerful. It is powerful and it is often in opposition to what is true. And our culture, the culture that's around us, Western, 21st century, North American culture, it espouses things that are false and calls them true and that is a fact and if you say that or if you are one who doesn't want to uh, ascribe to something that's false and call it true and if you say it out loud the culture wants to penalize that. They want to penalize those who say, well, that's just true. I'm sorry, you can't call that truth uh, false, and you can't say what's a lie is now true. Say that out loud, and you might get shunned. You might get ostracized. You might get boycotted. In a word, you might get canceled. That's where we got this uh, jargon, the, the cancel culture, uh, it happens if you want to stand on what's true. And that culture that's saying truth is now false and what's false is now true, that's been seeping into the church. It's been penetrating the church. It's been infiltrating the church. And part of that issue we addressed and talked about last Sunday it's because the values that are esteemed by the culture, they're very deeply self-centered. And that self-centeredness has influenced many, and it has influenced Christians. And it's really influenced how we even read the Word of God. Our faith has been influenced. Many read with this self-focused idea and as they read and discover meaning and make application from God's word, it's, it, it's all pointed back to self. And we talked about how we should really rightly divide the word of truth. And as Christians, we see this and we see the influence of the culture and how it's coming at us at breakneck speed. And 
what's perverse is now considered normal, and uh, it's even welcomed, and that's concerning. It is concerning, and uh, what do we do when those things are happening? I want to just offer to you this morning, that's nothing new. This is really not a new experience that what we're seeing This is history repeating itself, history cycles, it always does. If we look back, we can see this happen. And if we look back into the Word of God, there are examples, examples of similar times. And I want to encourage all of us today that from those accounts in the Word of God, we can find encouragement, we can find help uh, where we might be thinking the foundation just doesn't seem so firm. Things are slipping away. We can find help for our faith in the word of God to remain anchored in our faith in Christ, even even as it seems like the mores of culture have just broken away. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a couple of letters to the church in the city of Corinth. And that was a city with a culture that was marked by hedonism and depravity and His letters address that, especially the first letter he wrote to the church in Corinth. And we're going to be in that letter this morning. So if you have your Bible, you have your device, just get to 1 Corinthians. We're going to touch on several parts of that letter. Paul had written to these believers. They were believers. They were a church. And I'm going to share a verse from the latter part of the first letter. It's the end of chapter 15, which is a fabulous chapter. If there's a chapter of the Bible that I could say this is one of my favorites, it's 1 Corinthians 15. It, it's all about one of the great tenets, the foundations of our faith, the resurrection. And I just love it. I go back and read that, and I, I've loved to commit some of it to memory because it's so great about what we believe, especially about the resurrection of Jesus and what we are going to receive in the future. At the close of that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, Paul wrote, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Stay firm in your faith. Be founded. We need that firm foundation. We need to stand firm. The apostle emphasized the importance of keeping the faith, standing firm in the faith. But he had written what the opening word of that sentence, therefore. Now, therefore, it presents a, a conclusion. It therefore presents a result. And that result, that conclusion, it's based on what came before, what preceded that. So Paul wrote, therefore, stand firm, let nothing move you because of what he had written throughout that entire chapter, chapter 15. But not only that, not only the 15th chapter, but the 14th, the 13th, all the way back to his opening lines of the letter, everything he wrote really and let's back up, let's back up and consider some of the things that the apostle was stressing with this church in Corinth to better understand this final line of the 15th chapter. First, a little background 
on the city of Corinth and what was going on in the first century in that city. Corinth was kind of a wild town. I, I always call it the Las Vegas of the first century. What do we call Vegas? Sin City. This was Sin City in the first century. It was a relatively new city. Uh, it had been destroyed uh, decades earlier, and it had laid in ruins for a, quite a while, and then it had been rebuilt, and when Paul wrote his letter, Corinth was maybe 75 years old, and that's brand new. That is brand new in ancient standards. It's pretty new in our own standards, and Corinth, this, this newer city now, it's, um, it's an isthmus. It, that's a land bridge. It connected the uh, Panopolis Peninsula with the rest of mainland Greece. Now, we understand peninsulas here in Michigan, don't we? We always show the map, right? Well, it's the lower peninsula. We forget about what's up upstate often. We understand peninsulas, and our peninsulas are connected by the Big Mac, the Mackinac Bridge. Uh, and we, we know about going from the lower to the upper. See, Corinth was that bridge. The city of Corinth was kind of like the Big Mac. It was this thin strip of land. It is. It, it still is a thin strip of land, maybe three and a half miles at its uh, thinnest spot, about maybe 20 miles long, and it connected these two peninsulas. On one side of Corinth was uh, the uh, Aegean Sea. On the other side, the Adriatic, the, the Bay of Greece. And, and so Corinth was a double port town. It's two, two, town, two ports, one on each side. They would drag the boats across to save time. They wouldn't have to sail all the way around the big peninsula. And now there's a canal, so they, they don't need to drag them across. But imagine a port on each side of this thin strip of land. Sailors just filled the town. Sailors who had been out to sea. Now, what do lonely sailors do when they come to town? They're looking for love. They, they're looking for sex. And there was lots of prostitution in Corinth, especially temple prostitutes. Aphrodite was the goddess of Corinth. There were three temples to Aphrodite in Corinth. This was the Greek goddess of love, beauty, fertility, all aspects of sexuality, and she was honored as the protector of those who traveled by sea. And sex with a temple prostitute was just one of the ways to worship Aphrodite. And, and there were these three temples in Corinth. Sailors, they would come in on both sides of the city. They only have a short time on land until they were back on a boat filled with men. So what were they doing? Feeding their craves. I, I say all of this to, to point out this was a pretty perverse culture. This was a depraved culture that Paul was writing a letter to a church and the people of Corinth seemed to be struggling with the influences of the culture. So, so this, again, I say there's nothing new to the, our experience with a depraved culture. Earlier in his letter, Paul wrote, he, he wrote to this 
church, again, they're struggling, and he wrote these words, I cannot address you as people who live by the Spirit, but people who are still worldly. This was third chapter, verse one. He went on, he said, you argue, you fight, you're jealous about who baptized who, so this has kind of infiltrated the church. Uh, he wrote about perversions of the world that invaded the church. Now, there was a case of incest in the church. Paul pointed out this case of incest, and you know what he wrote? You're proud of it. So, this, again, here is this, this culture and all of what it stands for, and it's, it's influenced the church. He wrote that uh, there were divisions that resulted in lawsuits among church members. So there was this litigious attitude. Uh, he wrote a lot about the sexual immorality. He, he said, don't you know that anyone who unites themselves with a prostitute has become one with her body? No doubt, no doubt the, the influence of the temples of Aphrodite were still strong. In all of these issues Paul was writing about, they fill the first six chapters of 1 Corinthians. At the close of chapter 6, he just writes directly, flee from sexual immorality. And then the seventh chapter, he opens very, very direct language. He, he, he's like, hey, sexual immorality, it's, it's occurring and it's happening. And he said, hey, men, you should only have relations with your wife as if that needs to be said out loud, but he wrote it. Hey, men, husbands, only with your wife. And women, you should only have relations with your husband. It was evident that sexual immorality was epidemic in this church and in this city. And chapter seven, he continued with extensive advice on what it means to live as a married person, what it means to live as a single person. This is the context of what he's writing. And then in verse 26 of chapter 7, I want to read this verse, 1 Corinthians 7, 26. He wrote, because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. And he was referring to being either single or married. He wrote, I think it's good for a man just to remain the way you are. Why? Because of the present crisis. He wrote this. What was the present crisis? It just seems evident if you read the letter. There was a crisis of sexual sin that that was all part of what this city stood for and what they did, and it had... It had seeped into the church and it had infiltrated the church and this, this city that was filled with uh, sexual sin and self-indulgence. Now reading on from there, after chapter seven, other issues come up that the apostle writes about. He writes about food being offered to idols and he says, your church meetings, chapter uh, 11, your church meetings, what is going on? You have the Lord's Supper. Now he's talking about the sacrament of communion. And he says, there's divisions among you. Some come, they're hungry and they're never fed. Others, you get your fill and you get drunk. Imagine that church meeting. Imagine that worship service where people are getting drunk. 
And then, and then finally we get to chapter 15, where again, there are other issues. People are questioning their firm foundation. They're questioning a very tenet of, of the faith, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the future resurrection that's promised to all who believe in him. There is a crisis in this church. The, the, the Christians were hanging on to the culture and they were allowing the values of the culture to affect their relationship with Christ and the, the holy function of his church. This was a sexual immorality crisis at its roots, and there were divisions now among Christians. There was this litigious attitude of solving issues. There was this uh, overindulging drunkenness. Now, I don't know if, if, if we can relate as a society here. I think we can if we just look, look around. These same things are happening today, and I know we're saying like, oh my gosh, it's never happened. We've got these examples. And then what did the apostle write? What did he write then at the end of chapter 15? What was that verse 58 that I read? Therefore, I think of all of these things now leading up to this. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Here is the conclusion. Therefore, this is the result because of the immediate context of chapter 15 about these, these Christians that had now thought, well, the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, but also, therefore, because of all the sexual immorality and the self-indulgence that was the way of the culture and that had infected the church. Brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. The same can be said to us today, brothers and sisters. The way our culture has, has penetrated and affected the church. We must, we must be the ones who stand firm and let nothing move us. Even, even if we are but a few and we're surrounded by many that are trying to tell us that what's true is false and that we should be doing all these things. We few need to stand firm. A few lines later. This was the end of chapter 15, just a few lines later. Paul's closing his letter. Chapter 16 is the close where he's, he's saying his, his personal things to specific people, but in verse 13 of chapter 16, as he's closing, he reiterates this, and he gives us some sound advice. It was sound advice then, it is now, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13, Paul wrote, reiterating 1558, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. Now, this is good advice. Paul gave sound advice to those who were being pressed, slammed by the culture, affected by the culture. They had, they, they, they had indulged in many of the things Paul had, had uh, written, but they were Christians. They were the church. 
He didn't say you're lost and you're, you, you're, on, you, you're, you're not gonna make it. He, he's encouraging them, come on. Get, that, get rid of that stuff. Now, the same advice, the same advice can be directed to us. These four points, because Christians, we are surrounded by a perverse culture. We are. And there's an adversary out there. There is the adversary, the devil. Jesus talked about him. He walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And his goal and his aim is to take you out. His goal and his aim is to have you align yourself with the culture. Even better yet to say, oh, well, Christianity is, is just the same, which many churches have done. They've just said, okay, we'll, we'll change our, our Bible even, which I talked about last week. Let's change some of what it says to align with the culture. The, the devil would love for you to do that. He'd love for you to call what is false true. He'd love for you to call perversion normal. So let's take the advice of the apostle and be on our guard. And what does that mean? It means be watchful. It means be alert, be aware. And I think the apostle's getting at this as as he's writing to these Christians in this perverse city I, I think he is getting to, to this point about being a little bit introspective. Look at yourself. Be a little bit self-aware as you're watchful and alert. Watch yourself. Watch your life. Watch your lifestyle. Guard your heart. Do you know your soft spots? Do you know your soft spots where temptation can really get you? Oh, of course we do. Now, I don't like to admit it. I know my soft spots, don't like to talk about them, don't like to talk about a weakness, but we, usually we know them. And are we on our guard? Are we on our guard to avoid those temptations, to not even entertain them? Just do what we need to, to keep those temptations out? What kind of company do we keep? How, how do we talk? How are we treating others? How are we treating coworkers? How are we treating neighbors? What do we take in? What are we taking in through all the, the crazy channels of media that we have nowadays? What are we listening to uh, on podcasts, etc.? What's streaming into our device? Are these the things of God? Or are they these things from the culture that can influence us and, and take us to to the place where we're, now we're condoning it and saying it's okay. Be on your guard. Take inventory of what you allow in and consider whether it aligns with God's word. Now, I'm not getting down on having fun or being, you know, taking in something that's entertaining, but we must be watchful. Are you watchful? Are you conscious of just how much of the world you take in Versus the things of the Lord. Because those things from the world, they, they can influence. Remember, Paul was addressing a very perverse and a deviant, hedonistic culture that was really not much different than our very own. So be watchful. Be watchful. Second in his advice was stand firm in the faith. Now, now the apostle was not writing about standing firm in trivial matters. 
No, he was writing about matters of life and death. Standing firm in matters of life and death. And the Greek word that Paul used here that is translated stand firm, it's the Greek word steko. And it's a military term. It was used in military contexts. Like words like reconnaissance or bunker or foxhole or words like that, when we hear them, we, we understand and oftentimes we'll immediately think of a military situation if we hear bunker. And this was the type of word he's writing. It's military and it means maintain your allegiance. You have a duty. Stay with your duty. Do not defect to the other side. Don't be a defector. You stand with the side that you are on and you stand firm because there's an adversary that wants you to change sides. There's there's a story about a famous battle, Napoleon's Battle of Waterloo, where he was defeated. He was defeated by the the, uh, Anglo-Allied army and a Prussian army. And the anglo Allied army was led by Arthur Wellesley. He was called the Duke of Wellington. And the story goes, when the fight became its worst, an officer came up to the Duke and he said, my captain says we are being destroyed. We need reinforcements quickly. And the Duke said, tell your captain to stand. Shortly, another messenger gallops up with the same message. And Wellesley answered the same way. Tell your captain to stand. Well, then very soon, an officer, an officer comes with the same request. And Wellesley responded, I have no help to send you. We have no reinforcements. You must stand. And the officer saluted and replied, Sir, you will find us there. And when the battle was fought and the battle was won, the Duke found each of those men at their post. And they all were dead. But they had stood. They had stood and they had laid down their lives for the victory. Now, that's, that's a hard story, but as people of God, as people of God, this is what we are called to do when we are confronted with the battle of the enemy, the one that would want to take you out. You know, it's a lot easier to just change sides. But we have put our faith in Christ. We have gone from death to life. And the enemy wants to take that life. Are we going to give it to him? Are we going to stand firm? And what does that mean? That means being uncompromising in our faith. That means being uncompromising in a pressure from from outside to set aside God's word or to change it. That's that's being uncompromising in a pressure that says conform to the world and not conform to Jesus. That's being uncompromising when the pressure comes to say, well, just call that lie true. We can't just disregard the word of God and our faith because it's uncomfortable. Stand firm in the faith and to stand firm is to stand with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to honor what Jesus had, has done for us. It's to honor the blood-stained cross. It's to be rooted in the gospel. 
Not questioning, oh, well, is this part optional? Well, we can just toss it out. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul wrote, by this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly. Otherwise, you've believed in vain. That's part of verse 15, leading to his, conf- his conclusion to stand firm. There's an enemy prowling around. He'd like nothing more to, than to have you scorn your faith, turn your back, and step over and back into sinful ways. Again, remember, the cultural pressure that, that was on those Christians in the first century of Corinth to waver, waver from their faith in Christ. And how much of those same pressures are prevalent today? When the enemy brings his worst, stand firm. Be watchful, stand firm. Third thing Paul wrote, be courageous. And why are you gonna need courage? Because when you stand firm in your faith, attacks will come. And they're sure to come. They're sure to come. You stand firm in your faith. Neighbors, workers, school, wherever. Stand firm in your faith. You'll likely get ridiculed. You might get put down. You might be called an intolerant hater. You might be canceled. You know what? Expect it. Expect it. In chapter one, the very first chapter, Paul wrote, the message of the cross is foolishness. We heard that a couple of weeks ago. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is what? The power of God. It's the power of God. The perishing world thinks their gospel is weak. The perishing world thinks the gospel of Christ is foolish. We learned it's wisdom. Now they think it's weak and foolish. You think they're going to treat you nicely? Attacks are coming. So what do you do? Call your bravery to the forefront and hold fast, hold firm. And remember, you got the power of God on your side. The power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So be watchful, stand firm, be courageous. And then fourthly, Paul advised, be strong. The connotation here, this word where it comes across, be strong. It's not just be strong, but be strengthened. Get strong. Grow stronger. And Christians, we we need to grow strong. We need to. We must get strong. We must get mature. Early in his letter, Paul compared the Corinthian Christians to children. Infants, actually. Chapter 3, verse 1. I alluded to chapter 3 earlier. He wrote in chapter 3, verse 1, You are mere infants in Christ. Now, why was that? Why was he using these, these hard terms with this Christian church? You're infants in Christ. Well, in verse 3, he said, you're worldly. You're worldly. The way of the world is affecting you. You're sticking with the values of the culture. You're holding on to them. You are worldly and you are infants in Jesus. Infants are totally helpless. Infants are weak. They can't defend themselves. In the the apostle implied this weakness was due to the fact that you are, you're still kind of hugging the culture. You're still holding on to those values. Grow. We must grow. We must become mature. We need to gain strength in Christ. And we need to, to do that to repel the evil that abounds and is all around us. Again, we can relate. 
Uh, later in, in his letter, Paul wrote, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. That, that's in chapter 13, the great chapter about love. He reminds them, hey, listen, you, st- you need to grow. He had called them children earlier, brought up this example again. People of God grow. They grow up. They grow strong in their faith by putting the ways of immaturity behind them. And what are the ways of immaturity? Again, it's, it's this worldly it's, it's this worldly influence, it's hanging on to it, it's conforming to the world while confessing to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The apostle said, you're still children, you need to grow beyond that. All the things that he wrote about, all that he had shared from the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chapter, all about the things they were doing and the sexual immorality, uh, he, he shared this in chapter six, and I wanna, I wanna read it to you, it's verses nine to 11, he, he wrote, again, all these things that had been influenced them, he had brought up in the, the first six chapters, and here in verse 9 and 11 in chapter 6, he writes, don't you know, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Christians, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's great encouragement You know, so what is he saying? Don't go back to that junk. Don't go back to that. Don't let it influence you. And and don't condone it. Don't say you're in the church, but oh, that's okay. And uh, and and that's that's righteous and that's holy. No, continue in the ways of Jesus and his holiness and righteousness and grow strong in him. This list that I just read, it's as common in our culture as it was when Paul wrote it. Things don't change. They repeat. All of what the apostle wrote, that entire list, it's common in media, it's common in academia, it's common in the platforms of many of our leaders. It's common in the messages of many of the influencers. It's common. And they want you to accept it. They want you Christians, you who say you're followers of Christ, to say, hey, that's normal. That's acceptable. It's righteous. You know, the apostle called it sin. And he said it closes the door on the kingdom of God. Paul reminded his readers, this is what some of you were. Many of us can say the same thing, can't we? That's what I was. I was. That's past tense. We've been washed and sanctified and justified 
in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Let's not be deceived and go back to that stuff. Let's not be deceived, deceived and go back to anything in that list. It starts with, don't you know that wrongdoers? That's broad. Let's not entertain it. Let's not call it righteous. Let's not let the culture tell us it's righteous and agree with it. Put those things behind and grow. Let's live as those who have grown. Let's live as those who are continuing to grow and grow stronger. Those who've been washed. Have you been washed and sanctified and justified by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Can you say, I can stand before God Almighty because of the righteousness of Jesus? I trust many of you can say that. Let's do it. Let's be people who actually live it here and now. Let's influence that culture to see the power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous and be strong. I leave you with that today. If the foundation seems to be shifting on you, if you can't say, oh, it's a firm foundation, go read 1 Corinthians and get there to the end and just park there at verse 13 and let it minister to you. Because we need it. We need it. Let's stand. Let's pray. Let's, let's ask God to do that for us. And if there's any, any one of you here, if you're struggling with any of that, just to stay firm, listen, that culture, it, it can pull us and tear us and drag us. You always know. And if you're new here today, it's an invitation. You don't need to leave here with that influence. If, if it's been nagging you, anything that's been pulling on you, you can lay it down. And we have some who will pray with you. They will pray with you. They will put their faith with yours to ask God to help you in that. We all need it from time to time. And there's no shame in it. So you don't have to run out of here. You can come to these altars for prayer before leaving today. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that invitation's always there for you to pray before you go. And, and if it's any other need, if you have a physical need, if you have uh, anything, a, a spiritual need that might be, might be beyond what we're talking about, that's why we're here together as the people of God. Let's pray, and if you need prayer, you just, you just come on down. If you want personal prayer with an elder or deacon in the church, you just make your way. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for... Uh, what you offer to us in, in your precious word that has been preserved for us. And Lord, it gives us these, these encouragements and these pictures of history that we can see we're not alone. This isn't new. It's certainly not new to you. You've seen it before and you've given great, great words of encouragement and wisdom to us. And Father, help us to receive that. To, to receive standing firm in our faith, God, and being courageous and being strong and standing firm 
And Lord, if, if the culture, if whatever, whoever, something has been drawing us away from where we ought to be centered, if we're questioning our faith, like things like the resurrection, the true firm foundations of the faith, God, Lord, help us. Renew strength in us. Help us to be people who grow in you and put behind us what the world would have us to say is true, that's false. God, help us to grow in you, to continue to be mature in you and to be more Christ-like and to share the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. Lord, I just pray that for everyone in here and God, anyone who might be struggling with anything, be it, a, be it one of the things in Paul's list that he wrote that keeps us from the kingdom or if we're struggling with a health issue, a financial issue, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that you would meet that need, that you would intervene. God, for those here at these altars who have brought needs, minister, Lord, minister through the deacons and the elders. May they just be channels of your blessing. May the Holy Spirit do a great power, Lord. And may we leave here and say with absolute assurance, we are those who have been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for it, Father. Lord, move on these prayers, we ask. Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, amen.